You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. I'm Jake McCandless, and in this episode, I'm talking about interpreting the Bible, especially Bible prophecy, and how football can help us. Yes, football. How football can help us interpret the Bible correctly. Well, if you caught my previous episode, I'm sorry for the rant. I I ranted a little bit. Maybe maybe some ranting was due. I think this is going to be a little bit less ranting. But if you like the ranting, hey... Reach out, say, hey, give me give me the ranting, Jake. Don't hide the ranting. <laughs> but I started a conversation on understanding and interpreting the Bible, uh, the discipline of hermeneutics, and hopefully through those rants you saw, hey, this, this is important to realize, okay, well, you know, how am I interpreting the Bible? And the people I'm, I'm leaning into, how are they interpreting it? And then I gave you the most scholarly advice for interpreting the Bible. The number one rule, the number one hermeneutical principle that you should have, put yourself in neutral and read the text. Read the freaking text. Okay, a little bit of ranting going on. Well, I don't know if this next one is rule two because in reading the text, it's not just simply, okay, we we read it and we're done. It's reading it in context. You know, it may be diving into the language, diving into the historical context, all, all that stuff. Because what I'm promoting is the grammatical historical method of saying, okay, what did it mean to the author in the original audience in that context? Okay, what they were striving at it meaning is what it then should mean to us, right? And when we talk about application, it needs a bridge from that. So I'm not necessarily laying out a list of rules for you to follow. But in this episode, I want to deal with a rule that has helped me extremely and I've seen help others through my work through Stand Firm. So I have a syndicated article, goes out weekly called Stand Firm and Live Epic and I've written about this extensively there. Um, Those then show up at least three months later on my blog over at standfirmjake.com. You can find the blog there. But I've written and talked a lot about this football help on interpreting the Bible. So I know I probably need to explain. I'm talking about American football because I'm excited. We have an international audience and I know my friends overseas. When I say football, they're like, no, Jake, you're talking about American football. Let's talk about real football. Anyway, so talking about American football. And so if you watch NFL games, college games, one of the things that you see is the reviews over calls made by officials so it's set up that as the play is being reviewed, it can only change what happened on the field if there is enough clear evidence to overturn it. The official's ruling on the field stands unless there's clear evidence that it was wrong. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, I have this rule called the ruling on the field rule that the, quote, Ruling on the field in the Bible stands unless there's enough evidence to overturn it. 
Okay, well, what's the, the ruling in the Bible? Well, I look at it from two angles. One, the hermeneutical angle. What is the plain reading of the text? Notice I didn't say literal. Often it is literal. But sometimes the plain reading of something in Scripture is that it's allegory, is that it's a metaphor, you know, is that it's a, a parable. But what is the plain reading? When you read it, not just by itself, but when you read it in context of the, the immediate chapter, that book, I believe one of the most important thing, reading it in context of the overall our overarching narrative of Scripture, what does it seem to say? So that's the first one, the hermeneutical hurdle. Okay, the ruling on the field is what it seems to say, right? And so there would have to be enough evidence within the rest of Scripture to say, yeah, I know that verse sounds like that, but that's not what it means, right? Okay. The second is the historical hurdle. What did the early church view it as? What did that original audience view it as? And I believe ultimately... Even before looking at the early church, it's okay. What did first century Judaism? I mean, what what did throughout the old, if it's New Testament, what did the you know Jews believe throughout the centuries when Jesus was there? When the writers wrote this, what did they? How did they understand it? How did they interpret it? And that's the historical hurdle. So, for me to move away from a ruling on the field, I need to have enough evidence that even though it looks like it says this. It's not really what it says, even though the early church, the first century Jews, didn't they saw it this way, but there's enough evidence to say, you know, they were wrong. That makes sense. The ruling on the field hermeneutic. One of the greatest examples of this, I believe, can be is the discussion on the millennium. The thousand year kingdom. Of course, when we talk about Bible prophecy, there's all these different forks in the road, right? First, are we going to view Bible prophecy, especially the book of Revelation, as futuristic? Is it preterism that it all happened in that first century? Is it historical that it happened whenever I said it happened in the past? Or is it symbolism? Okay, if we're going to say, no, it's, it's futuristic. Okay, when it comes to that, then the next debate becomes, okay, is it premillennial? Meaning, is Jesus going to return and then establish a thousand-year kingdom on earth? Or is it post-millennialism that means that, hey, we're in this millennium time and then Jesus is going to come back after that? Or all-millennial, which means there's there's no real millennial kingdom. And there's such a debate over this. Okay, well, what if we use the ruling on the field hermeneutic here? Okay, Revelation 20 is where we read about this millennial kingdom. Let me read it. Verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding it in his hand, a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image or, and had not received its marks on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. 
Parentheses. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Close parentheses. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who are sharing the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with them for a thousand years. Verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from prison. Okay, seven verses here. Sound like it seemed like it said a thousand years a hundred times. But quite a few, right? So what is the plain reading of that? Well, just that passage alone, it seems to say Satan is bound for a thousand years. Jesus rules on a thousand years. We rule with him for a thousand years. Satan is let loose after those thousand years, right? Plain reading. Plain reading in context there. Immediately before this is the Battle of Armageddon. It's the return of Jesus. It's his defeat of the Antichrist and false prophet. Immediately following this are the events that happen after those thousand years. So the plain reading in context of the chapter of the book is that there is this thousand-year reign of Christ we call the Millennial Kingdom. Now, what, a, what about the narrative? Again, I'm really concerned how this fits into the, the narrative. Is there precedence? Because this is the only place that we necessarily see this thousand-year thing, right? So I, I can see, because I think the two or three witness aspect is, is an important hermeneutic principle as well. But, so what do we do with this? It's the only place it appears. Well, we can't find other passages that talk about thousand years, but we can find many other passages, right, that talk about a messianic kingdom, that talk about a king. We go back to second, we go go all the way back to Genesis, and it's talking about the the lion of Judah who will rule with an iron scepter. I mean, we, we see that in the book throughout the prophets, we we see that uh, over and over again. This idea, Second Samuel seven, where uh, David is told he'll have the son on the throne. And this idea of a messianic kingdom is all over the place within Scripture. And it seems to be what's happening here is the Apostle John is seeing from the Lord, okay, how you understand the messianic kingdom, it's going to be this thousand-year window, and then something else is going to happen after that. Not discounting the messianic kingdom, not saying it's not going to happen, not saying, hey, you guys had it wrong. But the plain reading, as we just read it, plain reading in context of the book, plain reading, I believe, in the narrative of Scripture, just doing working through this quickly, is that. So the ruling on the field, hermeneutically, is the Scripture says there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? What about the historical hurdle? The historical ruling on the field? How did the early church see this? They saw it as a literal thousand-year kingdom that would happen after Jesus returned. They saw it as the fulfillment of the covenants made to Israel. They saw it as the messianic kingdom they were expecting. Well, what about first-century Jews? Well, again, the thousand-year thing is, is throwing it for a loop here, but they foresaw this messianic kingdom as described here, just not the time frame. So the historical precedence is there. So if we're going to kick it up to the booth and say, okay, there's other people talking about, you know, 
there may not be any real thousand-year millennial kingdom. So we need to review this. They're saying, you know, it's just symbolized, it's just spiritual, it's, it's not going to happen. Or those are saying, hey, we're in it right now. The spread of the gospel is this millennial kingdom it's talking about. So we're going to kick it up to the booth. You guys tell us, is there enough clear evidence within Scripture to overrule, to overturn what we're seeing on the field? And I've searched. I can't find it. I can't find any passage that would say, you know, that thousand-year idea, that's just symbolism. The Lord's just making up a number. That's crazy talk to think that's, that's just real. There's no passage like that. So to over, and then the idea to say, you know, there, there's scripture that says, you know, this kingdom is just spiritual. Well, I, I know we can point to passages that talks about, you know, the kingdom starting in, in some ways now and, and being spiritual in a sense, but the historical evidence throughout the centuries of Judaism, first century Jews, early church saw it as a real tangible kingdom. So do you see how the ruling on the field hermeneutic works? I think you apply this to anything. I, I think the rapture, you begin looking at the passages that describe the rapture. What's the plain reading? Well, there, there's some plain readings. That, right, 2 Thessalonians 2, it's, it's pretty plain, right? After the Antichrist. It's when they'll come, when that will happen. So where's the evidence to overturn it? Historically, the rapture has been viewed late by the early church. And say, well, first century Jews, they didn't really talk rapture. No, but they talked resurrection. When did they expect the resurrection? The coming of the Messiah, the start of his kingdom. I really believe this ruling on the field can help us, can help you. It's helped me. That's how I view things. Okay, what's the plain reading? Okay, historically, how has this been viewed? Okay, is there some evidence within Scripture that would completely overturn this? And so when someone brings a view to me that's a break from the plain reading, if it's a break from where it was understood in the first century, I, I believe with prophecy, there might be a little bit of a room for some progressive revelation. Now, don't write me off here. I think Daniel 12, he talks about the un, unsealing of the scrolls. There's some aspects of that. But it's never going to depart from the narrative. It's never going to depart from what we have in the text. So, yeah, I think football can help us in interpreting the Bible. And I hope you will employ this ruling on the field hermeneutic. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 